Hey friends, it's Melvin. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Here's just a few quick things I wanted to notify you guys about before we get started. First up, very soon, new episodes will be releasing Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesday. So don't panic if you don't see a new episode on Tuesday. Just wait a little longer and you'll see it in your feed. Second, we've introduced a mailbag. Check those show notes and toward the bottom you'll see a mailbag link. You'll then be able to text us any questions you might have about movies, the movie industry, or any movie-slash-Christian-related questions you might have. Then we'll respond in a future episode, so send us your questions now. Up next, Patreon polls, which are available to Patreon supporters at the $3 tier or higher, have been updated. Supporters can now suggest films or shows to be reviewed at the end of each month. The two most liked submissions will become the options for the Patreon poll, so if you want to hear us talk about your favorite movie or show, join our Patreon and start campaigning. And lastly, whether you're a new or long-time listener, please consider writing a review or rating the Cinematic Doctrine podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Apart from financially supporting on Patreon, these are the two most helpful ways to support the show. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. This episode is the final episode in our three-part Quibi saga that was recorded in January of 2021. If you haven't listened to parts one and two, I highly recommend them for some much-needed context on the history of the app as well as some of its shows. Throughout this series, I've made mention of lost media. Although Roku purchased Quibi's catalog of shows after its closure, and while Roku has occasionally featured some of these shows in their channel, a majority of them are currently unavailable despite now relabeling them as Roku Originals, which they aren't. They were Quibi Originals. As of this episode's posting, none of the episodes discussed in this episode are available to watch. This means out of all 10 shows I've discussed throughout the series, only one is currently available, which is kind of crazy. Functionally speaking, this media is now lost. If you're curious about watching any of these shows, I have included a Just Watch link in the show notes. Just Watch is a website that shows where a movie or show is streaming, legally, at any given time, and it's possible that during the time you're listening, a show has become available. If that's the case and any of these shows interest you, check them out. Uh, well, at least check out the ones I recommend. Lastly, all inaccurate or outdated information has been removed from this episode because it is two years old. Just two years old for me, but it's new for you. Otherwise, I really hope you guys have enjoyed this series. Me and Dan were really happy with it when we recorded it back then. And then uh, I didn't say this, but actually the reason it was never posted is because I was an impatient. So it just didn't make sense to put this uh, this stuff out. Uh, I didn't really know what to do with it until now. It seemed like a good time to release it. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun to edit, go through. I really hope you guys enjoy this final episode. Daniel, we still got five more shows to get through. Can you believe it? I can. Oh, okay. Well, then that's great. (laughs) That's good. It doesn't surprise me. Let's go with the one that I feel very confident about, because I think this eventually kind of was talked about a lot online, was the home movie, The Princess Bride. Now, if I am remembering this correctly, this was during the pandemic where they got a bunch of famous people to film one scene from The Princess Bride at home, kind of like DIY style, and they edited it together to be 
make a to be a full remake of the princess bride that is correct yes it is um it's very much like like 100 right but i also know it's like the only one that wasn't advertised but was just talked about in publications um because it was like what was it they the some of the publications would say like um streaming rights for the princess bride are now available for Quibi. <laughs> and it was just like, it was just remaking it. Or there was another thing that was like, Quibi is remaking the Princess Bride. So then, uh, in the vein of ab- making Quibi just the butt of every joke, the f- phrasing without the contextualization makes everyone cringe because they're like, why would you remake Princess Bride? Yeah. Which isn't very nice. A lot of, oh no, my childhood Whoa! type comments. Uh, it's just very cringe. Um, which I hate when people say that. But, yeah. but in reality, it's like, no, what they're doing is sort of like Shrek retold. One of my favorite things from 2018. I think it's in my top that 10. That was cool. Princess Bride, though, is like prime for this sort of thing where... Quibi basically contacted, or whoever was contacted, a ton of actors uh, to then pick a character or play a character in a scene. Like, for instance, Nick Kroll, comedian Nick Kroll. He's in a lot of stuff, but like he was in the Caveman TV show based on the Geico commercials. That's right. The three episodes that are not streamable anywhere, which some point we'll cover on the podcast. That's like my pipe dream. Basically, Nick Kroll plays like three different characters. He's Inigo Montoyo, Fezzik, and... Vizzini during one segment. So there's just a lot of fun in terms of these actors that we all know and love playing as characters that we've all known and love at different times. So for instance, the entire accounting department from the office plays an entire scene. Oh yeah. Baumgarter. That's cool. Oscar Nunez. And then also Angela Kinsey, all are um, those same characters I mentioned before. Very DIY. Like Jack Black is, he's um. He plays Wesley when he's climbing on the wall to catch up to Inigo Montoya. So they just shot him like on a staircase laying down. <laughs> and so he's like climbing up the oh, stairs. Yeah. And when they throw down the rope, it's his garden hose. So there's a lot of cute things like that. Right, right. The way it is formatted is you could watch it in portrait and just watch it as it's filmed because they basically just recorded it on people's phones. But if you watched it in landscape, you saw the, the film in portrait mode to the left and then on the right, you got details of which actor was playing which character and then a screenshot from the film at the same time. So, for instance, when Mackenzie ah, Davis. That's cool. Yeah, I could good information stuff. That's like kind of fun. When, for instance, Mackenzie Davis plays, um, you know, the Princess Bride, uh, that character, when she's hiding from the shrieking eels. And by hiding, I mean swimming. And by swimming, I mean about to get eaten and she's just in her pool, but she looks ridiculously like Robin white. Um, but next to it, it of course says she's playing the princess bride. who's originally performed by Robin white, Robin, right? Um, <laughs> so sorry. Um, yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff That's about cool. this, but the only thing is that unlike Shrek retold, uh, it doesn't have the same absurdism that I like, like Shrek retold has, like there's no uh, rat boy genius type scene where like something just blew my mind with how yeah. they performed it, which is a bummer. And then also uh, during Joe Jonas's and his wife's scene, Joe Jonas curses at one point. And then there's also just um, there's stuff in it that takes away sort of the family value kind of engagement of the initial film. Unlike Shrek Retold, where it's a bunch of people who are memeing absurdist memes like Shrek is modern in modern day anyway. Uh, the Princess Bride has sort of remained this pure family film that's just absurdly bizarre in terms of that film has everything from horror to fantasy right, and romance yeah. to to violence to terror and torture. 
and even verbal abuse when like uh, Wesley's <laughs> just just ripping into um, Prince Humperdinck at the end of um, To the Pain, which is just like so grotesque. I'm going to cut off your eyes and your ear or what is it? Yeah. Cut out your eyes, burn your face or whatever, but I'm going to leave your ears yeah, so ears. everybody can mock you and you can hear it. You're like, that's something your children so can Every hear. time someone says, oh God, what horrible thing is that? Reverberate <laughs> in your ears. Yeah. Oh, so bad. But um. Yeah, it's just that it lacks that. So, I mean, it's good, but it wasn't particularly great. But in terms of that sort of home DIY, throw it together thing, that's kind of fun. Um, and one last thing that I remembered is this is during the pandemic where people were kind of getting tired of rich people saying like, we're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. And then in the background, <laughs> you see like their workout studio, their giant canvas, um, giant TV, everything right, going right. on. This has a bit of that because it's basically just people's houses. But what's kind of cute are two things. One, you can tell who actually knows that that's a cultural social thing and could be um, insensitive. So they just shot with like a blank wall behind them. And two, a lot of the younger actors are just in their backyard and it's kind of a smaller home. So it's kind of just sweet because you know that like they're saving up their money like good people should. <laughs> I don't know. It's just... It's very interesting. Yeah. Plus, like, it, the difference between that and, like, a lip, like, singing Imagine or whatever is, like, like, the idea, like, someone pointed this out where, like, often with these, like, oh, we're in this together, often celebrities are just, like, acting as if their very presence and assurance that things are going to be okay is support enough. Like, they're overvaluing their own worth in that way. Right. While this is, they're actors acting. They're applying their trade. You know, yeah, they're they're actually they're contributing something. They're right. they're they're entertaining us. They're giving something. The equivalent of Stanley producing comic books during a world war, right? Um, exactly. Yeah. It's it Maybe is not. actually good and beneficial. Not yeah. the total same thing, but the <laughs> idea is he's yeah. he's producing content for people to enjoy to take a break, um, as people should. People should rest and take breaks during tragedy and stuff because that's sort of how you keep going sometimes. So uh, so it works a lot better than just like Gal Gadot singing Imagine with this like this pretty house where she also just put on a ton of makeup. There's a lot of optics that failed during that Imagine. We could make an entire podcast episode about it. That sounds like, yeah, good, not great. Is For me, that sounds great. That sounds great in and of itself where it's just like, yeah, they're not, it's not an amazing reimagining of a classic. It's a bunch of people having fun. That to me, that sounds charming. And that there is like in the, I think the the general gimmick of like you get to see these famous people kind of goof around with something they love is appealing, and like I gotta say like I love I love 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 the idea of like you, when you when you switch the the mode your phone is in it shows like fun facts it shows like yeah. giving you like it's kind of like sometimes back early when DVDs are getting released you would could, there was sometimes your mode where you could turn on where you'd have like. Uh, movie trivia and i think turner i've seen a turner classic movies or amc would do that where they'd have like a special presentation where they'd include like fun facts and stuff from yeah the production that to me is an easy you know you don't just shoot extra content for anything like all most of the ideas i pitched so far have been like things that would require a lot more post-production or whatever right. on their part that seems like a fun thing like that that to me is something that as somebody who just likes movies and television shows and isn't worried about the whole, I want to watch something on the go. That would be a, a gimmick that would actually kind of make me interested in watching something like a, basically a special, special edition of a movie or something. And, you know, it would be great for Quibi Melvin with that, 
it'll be great like a mystery science theater 3000 kind of thing where if you turn your like phone one way you could see like the mystery science theater 3000 guys in the theater watching the movie or you could turn right. it like right side you just watch the movie itself or like they'd be great for like commentary tracks or if you switch your phone one way it turns on the commentary like someone riffing over it like a riff tracks kind of thing yeah that'd be neat right all all very cool things that i guess katzenberg and whitman were like what that will never kids, happen kids don't <laughs> care about that <laughs> our demographic doesn't care so that one sounds not that not bad that actually sounds like a pretty neat little thing yeah it's enjoyable. Could be, so it's a fun one You may not know this, but the easiest way you can show your support for Cinematic Doctrine is to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. So press pause and share your thoughts. We'd love to hear what you have to say. And then press play again so you can hear the rest of the show. So moving right along, let's go with The Fugitive. Okay. I don't know how much I have to guess on this one. So here, the real, because I know what The Fugitive is, obviously. It's the uh, Harrison Ford movie that had a sequel. I don't remember the name of the sequel, but the Harrison Ford film. But the real question is, what? how did they reimagine it for Quibi? Because, again, there's a there's a decent amount of potential here where it could be like an ongoing chase thing. You could maybe follow the chasing of this one man via these different media modes. They could do a thing where they switch to like, security camera footage for one scene and they switched to like somebody who caught him on their phone uploaded to world star or whatever um <laughs> world <be> star <laughs> there he is it's him <laughs> oh, <I'm right>. um, <laughs> you know like i mean the fugitive is something with there you don't have to mess with the formula too much but i think you could do a lot of fun stuff with the quibi angle where you're seeing different kind of camera feeds you can maybe even do a thing where you're seeing people talking about the the guys running away on social media uh which i assume they do with free Rayshon. but that's that's I, I assume it's just fugitive longer with more gimmicks that sounds like a cool movie uh there are no <laughs> gimmicks in the fugitive okay. this is one of two dad energy productions in terms of like big gruff police guy, Kiefer Sutherland is the policeman, and kind of everyman looking guy Boyd Hallbrook, who is the fugitive running away. He there for look. There's no gimmick. There's nothing like that. The only phone thing is that he's like using his phone. That's it. There's, there's nothing else. Um, it kind of has that. The only other thing too is I guess Twitter's involved because a reporter is leaking information, and there's an interesting angle of like based on bad reporting and based on assumptions and building your own story, you can make somebody a criminal. So like the, okay. the, the premise of course, is that Boyd Hallbrook used to be in jail. I forget why I think it was like some sort of money crime. So it's not even like something crazy. And then when he's meeting with his parole officer who comically says here, you've persevered, take this knife. My dad gave me, <laughs> He's like, this is a knife my dad gave me when I became a man and you have become a free man. And it's like just a hunting knife. I'm like, this is weird. (laughs) But it's the sort of thing your dad will be like, that is cool. That's a cool (laughs) knife. Oh, that's so awesome. Should have given you a knife, son. (laughs) Yeah. I have failed Um, you. Exactly. So it's got that. And then, of course, he goes on the subway when he's leaving the subway, the of course, because this is what always happens in your dad movie. The subway explodes. It's a terrorist attack. 
And then he gets blamed for it because they see him on the camera feed. Someone's like, he's a criminal. And they're like, I guess we'll go and he's our number one guy, even though it's like, I'm pretty sure, yeah, all he did was do like trade company secrets or something. So it's like, ah, yes, he went from company secrets to mass murder and terrorism. Um, Very dumb movie, but entertaining in the sense of like at one point when he's fleeing from Kiefer Sutherland, who is a wild guy, all his his character is my wife died at 9-11. That's it. And they repeat it like 12 <laughs> times, which again, your dad will be like, I remember 9-11. That's why I joined the service. And so it's like, it's it's going to hit all those beats. I'm not, I hope I don't sound like I'm mocking, but I'm more just like, this is the character. Look, this movie better understands its demographic than Quibi understood its demographic. Okay. <laughs> so that's, I'm just being clear with you. Yeah, yeah. So, but at some point, Kiefer Sutherland is chasing after Boyd Holbrook. And so that Boyd Holbrook steals an un like an uninhabited subway train. And so I'm like, how do you know how to run this thing? And then I'm like, but you're what? <laughs> and so but because he's stolen it, they're like, he's armed and dangerous. Shoot to kill. <laughs> like all you had to do was like maybe visit a police station to be like, I didn't do it. <laughs> right. Yeah, But meanwhile, there's the angle of like, there's a reporter who's like tweeting and say like, um, this is who it is. So the, so the whole town is sort of against him because like every time they see him, they're convinced he's the terrorist, even though he didn't do it. And so I don't know, I, this was frustrating because Kiefer Sutherland's character is so aggravating that like, I actually wasn't enjoying it because you, this is sort of playing on dramatic irony as a narrative. This is playing on the dramatic irony that, you know, he didn't do it. But the characters don't. And Kiefer Sutherland's character is so determined that he did it that you actually start to think you are stupid. And so it's not interesting to watch. You're just angry because you want to take your phone and shake it because you want to shake Kiefer Sutherland and go, come on, he didn't do it. Until a certain point where it's like, this is kind of interesting. But by that point, you got four episodes left, which is the equivalent of 20 minutes and Jeez. that's it. So it's just it it was okay, but it wasn't very good. But it's also very dad energy because Glenn Harriton, who we all also know and uh as the golden god from Always Sunny, um, he plays a reporter who is um more about journalistic integrity and keeps making jokes about how the younger reporter is too young to understand or something so it's got that other energy of like your dad will watch it and be like yeah doesn't she know anything also the bad reporter is a woman so that's going to probably fit your toxic masculinity energy too so it's like it's just a frustrate frustrating um thing but better than flipped better than run the city better than the golden arm uh and better than <laughs> one of the other dead the other dead energy project we'll talk about but but that's only because it kind of is has interesting things about it. But by the end, uh, he walks out holding his wife and kids and it's like, let's go home. And nobody cares that there's no consequence to the fact that like socially, this guy has been canceled. <laughs> and so, yeah. Have you, have you seen the original fugitive film? I haven't. One of the things that the fugitive does well, that one of the things I remember from it is they establish they do a decent job of establishing that. So Tommy Lee Jones plays the agent who's chasing Harrison Ford relentlessly. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they do a good job of establishing is that at a certain point, it doesn't even matter if Harrison Ford's character is guilty. It's right. more that Tommy Lee Jones is 
just obsessed with finding him. And right. so there's that kind of famous scene in the movie where it's a scene where like Harrison Ford, it happens early on. It's like, I didn't do it. Like he's because he's and Tommy Lee Jones character responds. I don't care. He he just like, that's not the point. The point isn't whether or not Harrison Ford is guilty or not. The point is it's his job to catch this guy. So I think that kind of can smooth over some of the, like, some of the issues of like, hey, why is Kiefer Sutherland so hellbent on getting this guy? Right. And, and it, it, at a certain point, like, oh, he has got like PTSD from 9-11. Isn't it good enough reason for him to want to chase down <laughs> what's his name or whatever? I mean, I haven't watched it. I could be wrong. You know, I could just be we both could be wrong. Who knows? This might be awesome. And we're just wrong. I don't know. But I, the Fugitive is like it's such an interesting property to try and like reboot for Quibi because like, yeah, it's a dad show. It's the exact kind of like opposite type of property that the theoretical audience for Quibi, because <laughs> like there's two types of people. There's people that would like the fugitive would not like my dad would not want to watch this on his phone. My dad barely understands how to use his phone. The last thing he wants to do is watch a remake of his beloved Harrison Ford movie on his phone. And then there's people closer to our age who either a don't care about this or B when you think of something again, something which is seems like one of the Achilles heels of this thing, something I would want to watch in bite sized pieces. The Fugitive isn't one of them. I don't want to watch this. I would, if I'm thinking of something I want to watch on my bus ride to school, I'm not going to be like, I got a hankering for seven minutes of The Fugitive. That's, right. that's really what's going to hit the spot right now. Right. You know, it's so strange. It also touches on, um, you talked about like the demographic focus of like these productions. Like I just mentioned, there are two dad energy ones, one of which is like one of the properties they advertise the most. The, the productions here, a lot of these are TVMA, which for language is fine. Cause you figure you're listening in your headphones and most people quite aren't quite bothered by language, but like we covered 50 States of Fright as our first one. That's horror shows. And Sam Raimi likes his gore and he likes to be fun with it. And so, like, just the premise of, like, here, here's Katzenberg advertising a product that you can watch during the public spaces where you're killing time. Here, put on this show that is graphic violence. And maybe someone sitting next to you will look over and their first thought will be, boy, what, what application is that? Is that Quibi? I want to watch Quibi. No, they're going to be like, who's this weirdo watching this horror movie next to me in public? Um, and that's... That's just talking in terms of the sensibilities I have. There are some shows on here that have like sexual contents. I think one of them had like a content warning for like having to deal with sexual assault. Um, other ones had listings for nudity. And it's like, this is weird. Like, why would I watch those things <laughs> yeah. in public? And then also, why would this be like, we're, we're making sales to millennials and zoomers. And then like the listing is something with like graphic sexual violence. This is like, this is the dumbest, most brain dead stuff that like anybody with a brain would just look at it and go like, wait, that's your demographic. Why are you doing a remake of an eighties? <laughs> yeah. And that's so much of what this stuff is. The only reason there's things here that I enjoy is because I like movies and I like some of these actors. And so it just is a no-brainer that I'm going to enjoy it. But they've clearly stated that their demographic wasn't just people who like movies. If it was, 
they would not be chopping these things up into seven to nine minutes and putting advertisements in the middle of them. Right. Um, and limiting it to your phone. Like, this is ridiculous, man. Like, the more you talk about it and get into it, like, cool, yeah. Home movie Princess Bride sounds interesting. Fugitive, kind of cool. Free Ray Sean, pretty great. But then, like, yeah, this is the virtual boy. All it does yeah. is the mode you've chosen diminishes and ruins the purpose of what you're doing. So I don't know, man. Yeah. It's it's dumb. <laughs> it's dumb. Enjoying this episode? Grab that share link and tell your friends. Word of mouth is the most effective way for a podcast to reach new listeners, so don't be shy. Share the episode wherever you can. Yeah, we're talking about like the weird thing of the content doesn't seem aimed at the audience that they've purported this will be aimed at. And it's like, when you think back to teen culture, like in the nineties and the early two thousands, teen culture was very risque. Like it was very transgressive. You had MTV, you had like jackass, you had like professional wrestling. The top artists were like Marilyn Manson and Eminem and like Limp Bizkit. And like the big thing was like in like South park and all this stuff. And so but the thing is, like, that was transgressive, like, risque content, but, like, that was transgressive, risque content that was... On your television. It was on your television, but it was, like, so it was, like, it was edited for TV, but it was also kind of, like, it was the type of risque content that you could see appealing to adolescents. Like, what you're describing in these shows... Not interesting to adolescents. Like, just uncomfortable... Yeah, it's like graphic, uncomfortable, realistic, sad, you know, kind of stuff where it's like this is the stuff that you would you'd see on HBO. You know, this is stuff you'd see in like adult dramas where like I'm just trying to picture like imagine you're like waiting for like your dentist appointment and you're watching something with like sexual assault in it on your phone. Like that's just not something you want to do. You're 16, you're 16 or 15 year old who just had a blast looking at big chungus memes is not <laughs> interested yeah, in watching free race. Right. Like, and I'm, yeah, I'm describing like, I'm describing a scene of me. Like I can imagine like what 16 year old is like, you know, on their way to their friend's house is going to be like, I want to watch a documentary about a, a guy in Boston who's 23, you know, right in seven right. minute increments, or I'm going to see something with like uncomfortable sexual content, or I want to see something that requires like thought and, and reflection. It's very strange. And that's the, I, I keep hoping that one of these shows you're going to be like, here's how the seven minute, bite really helps the experience here's how i'll say just in general like there's nothing that actually helps the experience but what was an interesting exercise to see was how directors and editors tailored scenes to be the seven to ten minute length okay Um, because that's really how it is and so i thought that was interesting as an exercise um in fact i think one of the upcoming ones kind of does that to its advantage but then it'll immediately ruin the advantage when i explain some history behind it (laughs) okay (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's the seven to nine minutes. It never really is benefited. But in terms of like you're in college and your professor tells you to do a particular project, but says this is what you have to do it in. Be creative. I guess that's present. But I don't know. It's just dumb. It's dumb. It's dumb. It's dumb. It's dumb. It's dumb. There's no saving (laughs) grace. Okay. 
Okay. I, I, I think we covered the fugitive pretty well, but, it, but, but like we keep mentioning the other dad show and I'm going to assume you're talking about the most dangerous game. Correct. Now tell me about it. <laughs> this one, this well. one you should technically be able to tell me about because most dangerous game was sort of like every, every streaming service sort of has that one Their killer app thing where they're yeah. like, this is why you should check us out. And most dangerous game was advertising. That. So I, I didn't I actually didn't see a ton of advertising for this either. All I know, I know what the most dangerous game is. I know it's talking about a human being hunting other human beings. And right. typically on an island, I would assume that... The classic. Classic story. Classic yeah. story. Um, I would assume that if you're trying to transpose that concept to a modern times, it would either be kind of similar to The Hunt, where there's like a classism angle going on, or it's just you're going for straight horror thing where it's just some guy traps a bunch of young, racially diverse, attractive people on an island and is hunting them and you're they're trying to escape in some way. And I know so far, every time I try and guess how Quibi would utilize the medium for something, it's been completely wrong because Quibi doesn't do anything with its own gimmick so far, really, from what we've seen. But I would assume you could do a thing where like people have body cams on them or something, or there's security cameras on the island. And depending on how you hold your phone, you can see the other camera angles, like the body cams they're wearing or the security cameras on the island or something, or even let's go simplistic based on what you said from the princess bride thing. If you hold your phone a certain way, you can see which characters have been killed off, like kind of like in the hunger games or something where you'll just see their face with an X through it or something. That's all I got for, I mean, there's not much to do with the most dangerous game premise outside right. of that. It's more of just, so, a ga- it is literally a game. It's, it's more a, about it's a game. It would, what it'd takes be, place, but no, but in the same vein as uh, The Fugitive, which actually both of these were produced by a guy named Nick Santora. So I found that interesting where like every, both times he came up, I was like, okay, this guy has a type. He knows what he <laughs> likes. But yeah, this, this also has major dad energy. Christoph Waltz plays sort of like the game owner. Oh, that's uh, perfect. Runner. Yeah, he, he basically like has he's he's you know, he he hams it up when he's a villain. He has a good time. Um, and then Liam Hemsworth, um, Liam Hemsworth has like cancer and is going to die really soon. So he does this game where basically if he's able to survive each hour, uh, $50,000 will be put into his bank account with an exponential growth as each hour goes by. Additionally, six uh, rich people, as it usually is, are bored and will try to kill him. Um, they're all gimmicky. So one guy's so you're sort of your rich, rich British guy. And in the vein of dad, uh, energy, it does the rich British guy who is sort of, um, flamboyant, which goes for that classic seventies, eighties, nineties stereotype where the villain is always gay, which is not a good stereotype. And Liam Hemsworth, of course, is just trying to survive because he wants to get money and, and, support his pregnant wife uh because that's always a moral good yeah this was just dumb this was a narratively a (laughs) very stupid story i guess it was kind of interesting at times and i think the seven to nine minutes thing kind of like ruined itself but like one scene is like like the one thing i enjoyed is that it's over the course of 24 hours and at some point I mean, Liam Hemsworth is a good good performer, and he does a very physical performance because there's a lot of running, as you would expect. But by later in the film, he's just tired, and the crap has been beaten out of him, and he's just trying to survive. And all of that is like 
good to watch him just basically like one point is like he just falls asleep. Uh, but every hour, right, when the money is dropped off, his, his phone, which this is the only phone gimmick in it, will ping. And it'll tell all of the guys who are hunting him where he's at. So like he's falling asleep, the thing pings and he knows I got to get up. So he barely just walks away. But like there's one scene where like he doesn't know where to go. So he goes to this like playground and then like somebody finds him. He's like, how'd you find me? And his friend goes, well, I remembered we used to play in this playground all of the time. So I knew when (laughs) you were going to go missing that you would be in this playground that we grew up in. So it's just like... Very uh, Wait, stuff so they, that are they just, not on like an isolated area? Oh, I'm sorry. The jungle that this takes place in is sort of like in Predator Two, the urban jungle Ooh. of a city, and so it just sort of takes place in just another city. Uh, and interestingly, about um, Most Dangerous Game and The Fugitive, a lot of the shots that aren't in closed locations and are like open cityscapes are cameras pointed upward. So you see the player, um, the player, the actor. In this in case, I guess player works. And then you see like just sky. And I'm like, did they not have a license to, sh- to film here? <laughs> so like they just vaguely shot like shot upwards style. so that so that nobody could like see what like, yeah, they couldn't get ticketed or something or fined because they could figure out where in specifics they were filming. Anyways, boring. Want some quick updates on the podcast? Follow the Cinematic Doctrine Instagram for cool posts and story updates. Press the link in the show notes or search Cinematic Doctrine, that's one word, in your Instagram app. Oh, and we're on threads. Check us out there, too. So, I mean, I keep expecting so much more where, so, I mean, I just have to ask for every single one of these, what happens when you turn your phone? Okay, nothing, this one. It's just can't, it just, it just. They don't even have like a countdown clock for like 24 hours? No, um. I would. I thought it would have been interesting. I mean, they have to. It's twenty four hours and only like twelve episodes, fourteen episodes. So they need to. They can't. They have to intersperse certain episodes listed. I'm sorry, hours into each episode. But um, no, wow. there's nothing there. Um, nothing phone related, other than like he's given a phone that tells him when money's <laughs> being wired cool. and it goes off. That's it. When when the phone goes off, does your phone beep or something? No, but that would have been cool, right? It's kind of like uh, kind of like 4D in movie theaters or the rumble function on your on your uh, PS4 or Xbox controller. That's weird. What the rumble control? Or? Well, no, just like that. They didn't do anything. And this is this is the one that they advertised the most. Yeah. And one of four scripted productions. I think Red the City also came out on day one. I don't know why, um, but Most Dangerous Game came out day one, and it was like that was it. Because, yeah, usually with your you want to sell your gimmick, right? So that's why the Nintendo Wii came with Wii Sports, because they really wanted to sell the family aspect of the console. and They wanted to sell the motion control aspect of the console. Or, well, this know, is a family thing, dude. It's a dad thing. You just <laughs> cuddle up with your pat pat and just uh, watch the fugitive and most dangerous as, game. Yeah, fathers and sons tend to do. But like, you know, it's like the Sonic the Hedgehog 2 with the Sega Genesis. This is the fast blast processing, not, you know, second as a Nintendo. Sonic the Hedgehog 2, it's super fast. So you'd think that they would want to launch with a show that really sells the Quibi gimmick, the d- different angles you can hold your phone, the different things you could do with a phone. It's just shocking to me that they would launch with something that, again, like, why is this on Quibi? Because you think with a dangerous game remake, it would. This is the exact type of show that you either go all in 
on the phone thing where like I was like, well, what if they counted down the clock the whole time? Or you could like when the actor was sending things to his phone, like maybe in the movie he's using his phone for help. Like he can get like ammo drops or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where it's like like if he's playing COD or you can use the phone to get guns or things to fight off the people hunting. Or if they or pulled a Bandersnatch where you choose options. So like every now oh, and yeah. then it's like, do you want to drop him items or do you want to uh, give him nothing. That'd like, be drop sick. a box with nothing in it. So then he, and then the next scene is like, Liam Hemsworth being like, no, he'll be like, no, but then he has to hide. So he hides in yeah. the box and he's totally fine. Like something like, like that. Like, where, like, like snake Pliskin or solid snake. Yeah. They would be like, there would be some really interesting stuff, but like, that'd be cool. Where it would like, be cool. You could like, yeah, you could send him and they shoot different scenes where like once he uses a chainsaw, this and he uses a lead pipe or he has to use a gun. Or you could even choose like hazards. Like we're going to send 10, like we're going to have the police go after him yeah. or something. I don't could know. Could be needed the running man, not most dangerous game. Maybe the running man or you could have, oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was too, maybe too old, but like, yeah, you could get the rock or something and he's running. He's has to fight all these goofy villains in like a game show and us, the audience can send him hazards or weapons or mm-hmm. send other goons for him to dispatch. We should have run Quibi. We have all these great ideas yeah. for movies and shows. That's disappointing. Like I know the most dangerous game is one of those things they keep adapting and it never comes out great, but I thought, I don't know. That's just sad. And they could have had a balance of like interesting things like what you're describing. And then also just normal shows. Because sometimes right. you do just want to watch a show. <laughs> like, like why would I have to... Like, not everything needs to be a show, but not everything needs to be an overt gimmick either. Right. Um, but it would have been fun to be like... Like, it could have a symbol next to like... Like, sort of how Netflix has the interactive symbol on their interactive shows. You could just have that. And then... Right, yeah. Like, oh, I'm, I really want to try this most dangerous game, which the name alone can allude to the fact that it is a game. A game How? Yeah. What a good double entendre. Um, right. And it's most dangerous because while there's the six players going after them, there's that meta thing of like, I could be one of the players too, trying to ruin this guy's day. Right. Um, it would be the perfect fantasy for people who just want to abuse Liam Hemsworth. I don't understand why they <laughs> missed this opportunity. I don't know why do that. But like... Yeah, maybe Miley Cyrus would, but um, <laughs> topical kind of. I don't oh, know if it's old zing. news now, but yeah, or like you know, and you could it's something you could opt into. It's like if you don't, if you don't choose to interact, the movie could just play normally, so to speak. Yeah. So like for the set, the different increments. I don't know why I'm so obsessed with this one. The different increments. Is it just different vignettes within this game, or does it feel like a fluid no. narrative? Well, I think everything we've covered is just a movie, right? Because I could. Even like, okay, we've already, we've established that this is stupid at format, stupid idea. Why would you want to cut up most of these probably like things that were just pitched as normal movies? Why would you want to cut them up into just, just add commercials every seven minutes, basically? But like you could, why, what I don't get is why they just choose a more like episodic for like storytelling format to fit the format that they're using, you know? I mean, the scenes will end, the scenes will start and end with the seven to nine minutes. So you, only every, I think only once or twice was I felt, did I feel like they cut in the middle of something? But I mean, it's not like that improves it. It just right. means it's a tiny little episode <laughs> that costs an absurd amount to make per minute. So why bother? That's just weird. That's just yeah. weird. But two more to go, folks. Two more. Spoilers. I like both of them. So oh, good. that'll so, be something to stick around. So the next one is a stranger. Now, I'm going to 
guess because <laughs> this one <laughs> I, yeah but like i'm gonna guess this is kind of a horror kind of horror thriller if stranger feels more like a thriller title than like a straight horror about someone that you don't know <laughs> maybe um i i really i really got nothing for this one i'm assuming i'm assuming this was their stab at like each stab uh-huh. uh at a more traditional kind of thrillery story and i would hazard a guess that they would utilize some sort of identity thefty kind of thing to go with the technology thing of quibi mm-hmm. where someone's trying to maybe they make themselves seem like some of their not via social media or it's like a catfishing kind of thing or um, they've entered this person's lives via meeting through social media and it slowly mm-hmm. revealed that they're not who they thought they were. That's my guess. Right. So you kind of got a couple of things conceptually, right? So like using okay. like internet and, and media and phones, uh, what if phones were too much? Um, this is actually the most, what if phones were too much, uh, production and it's actually to its detriment, but, uh, using that to sort of like gaslight slash, uh, target somebody. So this this production has a bit of a connection, not like an actual narrative connection, but like in terms of tone to the fugitive in that like the main character is sort of being um, lit up as potentially the reason a lot of bad things are happening, even though they're not doing anything. So the premise is that Claire, played by Micah Monroe, is a basically an Uber driver, but this world's Uber driver. And um, she picks up Dane DeHaan, everybody's favorite creepy guy. monstrous creepy guy from like a uh, chronicle and it's directed by Vina Sud and written i think too who did the killing which i think is like an emmy nominated show or emmy winning kind of crime show yeah. it's good i like it i think it handles it actually does the quibby episode kind of format to its advantage so each episode is one hour not really, but it's like set one hour. So like it sets it's set over the course of like twelve hours. And when the episode starts, it says like seven PM, the next episode, eight PM, the next episode, nine okay. PM. Okay. Which is kind of creative in terms of telling me like, okay, time has passed. Here's a specific section in that time period that's important. Um when she picks picks up the dry rideshare guy though of Dane DeHaan, Dane DeHaan says, like, you pick me up from a house uh where I murdered the family. I don't actually live there, and now I'm gonna kill you. You're like, oh my gosh, oh, worst rideshare well. experience ever. Um, <laughs> One star. So, right, exactly. So anyway, she gets purposely gets into an accident. He gets knocked out. She escapes and uh, she drives off. But then basically he keeps like harassing her and chasing her. And it's sort of an interesting tale of like, he's like ruining like things that she's trying to do. Like she'll try to, she guys tries to go to like the police at some point, but they don't take her seriously because she has no information to give. He has a bag that when he gets into the ride chair, tosses it into the back and says, like, one of the pe- people I've killed is in it. So then when she gets the police to come over and check the bag while he's gone, um, all that's in it is like a blow up doll. And so the police are like, stop grifting us and leave us alone. Um, but then, of course, she gets a text from him and it's like, haha, like the president, I'm still going to kill you or something. You're like, oh, great. Um, <laughs> that's exactly singer, what it says. <laughs> something like might as well. Yeah. And uh, some good perform- good performances in there, a good visual profile. And like just an enjoyable watch, but the villain of Dane DeHaan 
is very much what it phones too much, but it but too much where he's just like, you could do anything with phones. It's amazing how much data collection there is. Someone crazy can be here. And then he's basically pulls like if you if someone can wield this, they can be an apex predator, which wink wink is like chronicle, where he's like, I have these powers, I am the apex predator. So, I don't know, I guess he's getting typecast like 12 years later. As Dane DeHaan. <laughs> Just Dane DeHaan performs Dane DeHaan in a Dane DeHaan production casted by Dane DeHaan, featuring Dane DeHaan, music by Dane DeHaan, directed by Dane DeHaan. Uncredited rewrites by Dane DeHaan. This film was screened at a drive-in, and Ooh. it was re-edited to be screened as a like a full straight film. And instead of just having it cut between episodes, which was actually just mostly just fade to black, so it was easy to, to clean up, all they basically did was just list what hour it was in the bottom left, which is frustrating for people who are like, couldn't they just tell us what time it was? Or just passively show that the sun has gone down and then the sun has come up. Um <laughs> But what if, what like, if it would cut to like a rooster crow kind of thing? It's like every <laughs> 7 a.m. <laughs> and it like gives you the specific yeah. time coordinates and uh, time zone, everything. Hey there, listener. Want to influence the podcast? Head on over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine and support the show for $3 a month. In doing so, you'll be able to vote on a movie poll that picks a film we discuss each month. So jump on over there and have your voice heard. So in this one, uh, for the Quibi thing, do you like when you go to the bathroom, when you pause it, does there just like a blow up doll in your bathroom? Like what does Quibi, <laughs> what does Quibi do for like the Quibi experience? for this? So one? portrait mode and landscape, not much difference. Um, film is purposely, I mean, obviously intentionally shot in landscape because it looks beautiful in landscape. Um, it takes advantage of a lot of the lighting of like, I think it's set in LA. So you get some good LA lights lighting and stuff and also this production felt very much like it's not just shot in la but you get people like there's a lot of cultural things going on um so one scene is like after she's escaped him and he's just harassing her she's like trying to just chill out so she's walking through like uh like there's a late night hispanic church service so they're like singing and everything and she's just sort of panicked and the entire episode is one shot which there's it's it's kind of meme to be like, oh, yeah, it's shot in long shots. These are great. But like, what's impressive about this is there's a lot of extras and a lot of motion and a lot of things going on in this seven-minute single shot that it's actually quite impressive that it's shot in, in one take. And so there's some interesting stuff there, and that's more incidental. It's like, well, this episode is going to be seven minutes anyway. What if we just made it a single-takes episode? That's cool, I guess. But no, there's nothing else. Now, Venus had said that she thought it theoretically would be cool if possible, like because episodes would release every day. That's how it works. And she said, theoretically, it could be cool, like since an episode is set during 7 p.m. and the next one, 8 p.m. and the next one, 9 p.m., we could send audio Uh. push notifications at 7 p.m. for the first episode. And then the next day at 8 p.m., the audio cue would play and then the notification would come through. Because one of the things that Dane DeHaan does is when when he's harassing her, one of the things that'll happen is he like changed her phone tone. And so like there's a specific tune that plays, which is actually really annoying. So I got tired of it, but it would play. He, she said, theoretically, it'd be cool if that played. And so like when the episode ah. is set at like 2 p.m. 2 a.m. in the morning, she was curious, like, would people stay up till 2 p.m.? No, because it's only seven minutes. But like <laughs> it is kind of interesting to think like 
with all that's available with like push notifications and changing audio tunes and all these other things, what what things as a content creator could you do? Right. But funnily enough, like this that. is also the same production that has a just straight 90 minute cut that exists. Yeah. And I, I see I like some of those ideas. I don't like the necessarily idea of my phone being ha- like forced to play a specific tone or something. Exactly. But that's I like the I idea it, yeah. of like you almost because that's a good way to like bond a fandom where everyone's on like up and they're like, you know, maybe they're on Twitter, t- like with the hashtag tweeting about it. Yeah, or like what's going to happen? Like, yeah. Like how, you, who's staying up tonight? Result? Like who's staying up till 2 a.m. to watch <laughs> Stranger um, or whatever? Like that, that could be an interesting way to to not just use a medium, but like create a specific culture around your show. So I like that. This actual thinking of like, OK, we have this weird app. We have this weird. What are ways we can use this to our advantage? Would it be weird if, like, for the, like the way they hyped up the last episode of The Stranger was like Dane DeHaan just started sending you harassing text messages, <laughs> like, or like just like you like close the mirror like in your bathroom and there's Dane DeHaan behind you, you turn around and he's not there, and then you turn back around and it just says "Tune in tonight" <laughs> written in with a finger on your <laughs> in the fog on your mirror. Like, oh, this is so immersive. <laughs> That'd be like, um, oh, what's his name? Michael Total Myers. Creepers. Well, there's that, but Total Creepazoid, who played Joker. Jared Leto? Yeah, Jared Leto, <laughs> with sending harassing images and, and products to other <laughs> actors and stuff. Um, but that's Dane DeHaan to you, directly into your phone. <laughs> it's like a picture of a dead animal and written in blood. New episode tonight. <laughs> it's just like a t- horrible thing. Just like a headshot of him. Anuth says, I just killed a family and I'm going to kill you next. At 1 a.m. <laughs> tonight on Quibi. <laughs> like, Dane, we canceled Quibi went out of business five years ago. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Uh, a Dane DeHaan production. Auto brick character until <laughs> the DVD commentary, which it doesn't exist. Like we create a monster. But we still have the last one. And I think you'll be pleased with this one. Are you ready? <laughs> oh, that's this. Okay. Um, Are you ready? So the last one is called Wireless, right? That is correct. I am ready. What is, so <laughs> let me guess. Um, wireless is probably going to have something to do with phones. And so tell me, Melvin, what is wireless about? (laughs) So, all right, wireless. Not only is this the best piece of media I watched on Quibi, it is my number two project that I've watched in 2020. Um, The only thing above it is Spree, which I absolutely love. Both movies are very phone oriented. In fact, a lot of movies this year were phone-esque. Both films also effectively used phones in their narrative spree was much more just like streaming culture and influencer culture um and just a whole lot of fun and wireless was a lot more like let's just get really meta in fact i think like if i didn't like more exciting campy stuff then wireless would probably be my number one with spree behind it but i just have a type i'm a type i like my violent, absurd, dumb movies like Spree. Horror comedy is my lifeblood. So, no, so Wireless is about uh, Ty Sheridan, everybody's favorite uh, actor who is in. I have to go look. Ty Sheridan, everybody's <laughs> favorite player one. Uh, and also, I believe he plays as um, 
what is his name? He's Cyclops. Um, Cyclops, yeah, in yeah. Dark Phoenix, and I think well, most of the the retcon universe, right? He's Cyclops. The X Men timeline, man, it's just it's just a mess. <laughs> yeah, the retcon universe. Or it yeah. was it was a mess. Now it's dead. But. <laughs> yeah. Look, Wireless is really really good. Um, Ty Sheridan puts on an amazing performance. I really really enjoyed this one. The gimmick is actually used here. Um, when you're in landscape, it is a normal movie. And a lot of the shots are just basically Ty Sheridan doing um, a solo performance on a long, long shot. And he does a very good job basically just performing, looking at his phone. When you switch to portrait mode, you see his phone screen. So you see his push notifications. You see what time it is. You see how much battery. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Bravo. They did it. <laughs> and it wasn't even a one of the debut productions. This came out in like August when everybody had canceled their subscriptions. <laughs> there are cues throughout when you're watching it on landscape, like you'll hear when his phone goes off or vibrates or something like that. So you'll naturally switch to portrait to take Ooh. a look. He will FaceTime. So you get to see other people perform through the FaceTime, but you also get to see him switch it to landscape while he's FaceTiming and you get a good wide shot of him in his car. Um, it's very good uh, in terms of understanding its gimmick. That it is- takes a bit of getting used to because you feel disoriented switching back and forth. And you're like, I get the feeling of like, I feel like I'm going to miss out on something by not, you know, watching one of the other screens. But half the time it might be just a locked screen. So you, you're not going to look, although it might chime. The locked screen shows what he got texted and you can get some extra information through the text because he may not be looking at his phone yet. Right. Been itching for Cinematic Doctrine merch? Check out the support tiers on Patreon. We're offering merch to those who support at select tiers. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine and share your support. There's a link in the show notes too. The premise of this is he's driving to a party New Year's Eve and it's like kind of up north. So he's driving through like a snowy mountainous area. Um, while he's driving, you learn that he's driving his dad's old pickup, his dad, um, you don't know if he's dead or missing, but you know that this pickup is important to the family and important to his dad. Um, while he's driving, he is constantly looking at his phone. So that is stressful um, and adds to some of the thriller. But <laughs> so it's this like, is a it's, horror movie, yeah. It's it's ridiculous how much he looks at his phone. And at first it's frustrating because you're like, stop looking at your phone. But then like you start looking at his phone too. You put right, it in the portrait. Right. So there's sort of this meta switch of like, well – Okay, I'll get. That's, I guess I'll look at his phone too. That's brilliant. I like that a lot. One, the second episode, he gets pulled over by the police, and I was in portrait at the time, which means also he was looking at his phone, literally scrolling Instagram while he's driving. <laughs> so you're watching him scroll Instagram, and then at some point you hear the siren go off, and so you switch back to landscape. And I, I apologize, I cannot remember if I saw this or not, but if there were police lights flashing on the interior of his car. Because if there were, if you watched solely in landscape and were not looking at your phone while driving like a good person, you would have seen the police car behind him earlier. So you would have known, like a natural person who might be breaking the law by looking at your phone, to put your phone down because the police are right there. So you're almost like duped like he is mm. into the police showing. So it just has that meta engagement of like, ah, police are here catching me while my phone's out. Um, but to add to the stress... 
Ty Sheridan has a drinking problem. So he's driving on an icy, snowy road. He's drinking from a bottle of vodka and or tequila. And he's looking at his phone, just like doom scrolling and wishing <laughs> that his ex-girlfriend wasn't his ex-girlfriend anymore. All of these things, even the setting, contribute to a very isolating experience and emotion because he's in his car, it's cold outside, it's white, so there's very little definition. He's looking at his phone, which naturally, despite the kind of like pseudo connection you have with people, is not actually real connection. Um, It's unfulfilled connection, even though you're online with thousands of people. And then he's also drinking, which is typically in a narrative significant of self-isolation as you're um, medicating. And then he crashes and he gets stuck in the middle of the snow off of on on a side road. And so now he's using his phone to try to communicate because it's his only lifeline in the middle of nowhere on a road that nobody else has driven on. And all of this continues to feed how this character is just um, in all sorts of ways, self-isolating. And it's just a really emotional trip to the point that like I was getting, I started weeping a couple times towards the end because so much of what you've experienced, not just in watching it, but also in participating in the phone usage right. was just really effective. And then even long shots of just like long, like there's some scenes where he's outside and you get these long wide shots of beautiful landscape But just like any other person that a boomer might criticize for being on their phone too much, you switch to your phone. And so you're not you're not taking in this beautiful scenery. Um, Mm. So there's just so much meta engagement in this production. Um, It is produced by Steven Soderbergh, but it's directed by Zach Wechter and Jack Seedman. And I think they just were like, well, if Quibi exists, we're going to actually use it instead of just making a project we wanted to to but netflix and hulu didn't pick up um or prime they actually said like if this is something we can use we're going to use it to our benefit and i i think they used it incredibly well ty sheridan does a good job carrying pretty much the whole film because it's just him texting and talking on facetime um and you know when he's facetiming people are there too but um, so I love this. I loved everything about it. I have extreme FOMO because I wanted to like, th- I watched this on Quibi's last day of operation and wow. I wanted to rewatch it in landscape to just take in the experience of no phones and watching his performance, seeing how they frame certain sequences. There are sequences that do like, um, you know, in the descent, uh, they're inside caves and pretty much any light source that the people had on hand is what they use. They didn't do like right, set yeah. lighting. They were like, if they have a lighter, that's all we're going to use for our lighting in this scene. There's a lot of stuff like that in this where he's in the vehicle and it's just so much snow. All he's got is his phone light. <laughs> so like you just get that. It's just great. It's just great. Uh, and I can never watch it again because unlike everything else, even The Stranger, which has a cut that is literally just a movie, wireless could really only be engaged in Quibi's gimmick. And mm. unless they they get the rights to produce a solo app that is just buy this for $3 and watch this movie, there's there's no way I can see this ever existing. That or Netflix purchase it, purchases it as just like something you watch exclusively on your phone. And so I don't, That'd be cool. I don't know. I feel like this is just gone. This is my second favorite production of 2020, and it is impossible to watch. (laughs) I know, man. I got borderline depressed when I realized this. I texted Kat and was like, you got to watch this. And then when I got home, the power was out, so we couldn't watch it. Um, And then, like, 
Quibi was supposed to shut down December 1st, but in my area, it was November 30th at like 10 p.m. So like we couldn't Oof. just make it work and then right. watch it in the two hours. So man, I I I actually hate talking about it now because it just reminds me of how much like this is just gone and is never going to exist ever yeah. again. But at least you get like, if Ty Sheridan ever comes up in conversation, you get to have the most like hipstery thing yeah on, well, I, don't, on I don't know if you guys saw this but in this <laughs> yeah. thing wireless it was only on quibi he's amazing you know? yeah and only on letterbox it lists 112 people saw this that's it only 112 Dang. um it's it's and a lot of productions on quibi have less than 100 uh rightfully so some of them aren't worth watching but like there was even a show that released like mid-October and it was like a week before Quibi just said we're shutting down so like there's all this weird stuff that's just gone that's unwatchable but wireless definitely hurts so not right. even just talking about this production but if I ever meet Ty Sheridan I can be like <laughs> I am one of 200 people that watched your single best performance congrats dude yeah that's a, that is a shame <laughs> and like so yeah it really did utilize it's the dream fulfilled. That's that's what I wanted out of the Quibi show. <laughs> it took I, nine shows to get your dreams fulfilled. Because like <laughs> that, it uses the medium to make it more immersive. It uses it to tell a story in a way that you just can't in any other medium. Kind of outside of maybe a video game, and it fits the theme. But yeah, it fits the theme. It fits the theme. Like the gimmick of looking at your phone fits the theme of why do. Most people in public situations use their phone because they're antisocial and they do not want to talk to anybody. Right. Um, so it's it it's great. What's funny though, it doesn't have that like what if phones but too much aesthetic to it because like one of the last scenes is like a triumphant lifting up of the phone, which was very <laughs> funny in terms of like yeah, we just got to put that in there and have fun. Right. Um, but like yeah, it's it's just a great production. I think. Um, I think there's a lot to be disappointed in this not existing uh, right. or not being available. So, Well, it's just like the story you've described isn't particularly unique. However, it's an amazing. It seems like an amazing example of how it's also just in how a story is told. And this yeah. seems like an amazingly well told story more than anything where you can see like what the, you can experience and feel and see what this character is thinking and be along. Like I would say along for the ride. You really are along for this ride with him and you are like a mm -hmm. co-passenger with him. And that's like, and that's why I keep asking like probing questions at every other show. Like, did they do this? Did they try this? Right. right. Cause I'm just like, ima imagining what you could do where you have this stupid, stupid app that does, that has all these limitations, but like you could, really sell it if you can say but here are all these stories that you can't experience any other way we can make you we, we are selling you on experiences you can see this story with these actors and look at what you can do like um and that could have been like and that's part of what's so weird about the entire thing of like well people are on their phone so let's just put movies on your phone like that's not enough like right what, that already what, exists i can get that, that's called netflix, netflix which is yeah. on my phone already you know right. um yeah it's that's the yeah that's that's the first one of these that made me that i'm just like yeah i wish i'd seen that good feel the fomo good <laughs> right but like not enough to be like man i wish Kobe was still around <laughs> right 
You may not know this, but the easiest way you can show your support for Cinematic Doctrine is to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. So press pause and share your thoughts. We'd love to hear what you have to say. And then press play again so you can hear the rest of the show. Here's my question. One of my questions for you is, how did you pick to what shows to watch? Part of it is uh, content awareness. I want to make sure I'm just picking stuff that, like, you know, won't won't upset me as a Christian. Um, but then also part of it was like, hey, there's an actor in here. I like, like The Stranger was the first one I wanted to watch. So it was. Um, it was actually like when I saw like Quibi's lineup because I was one of 10 people who decided like, what is on Quibi? Um, and I saw that Micah Monroe and Dane DeHaan were on. I was like, hey, I like both of those actors. I want to watch that. And it was that simple. I am like, so Quibi as a concept conceptual project being targeted at a demographic. One of the things that is very old, an old view of Hollywood and movie productions is thinking people go to see movies for specific actors. That's typically not the case unless you're like Dwayne, the rock Johnson or Tom Cruise. For some reason, people just see those movies because it's them Anything else, nobody sure. really goes to see. Um, people think that that's the case, but it's not. You probably only see Batman movies, not because Robert Pattinson's in it, but because you like the character of Batman. I, and probably you, and most cinephiles, a much smaller demographic, actually follow people's careers. So I was interested right, in The yeah. Stranger. And then after that, I was like, well, most dangerous game I have to check out because I you know, it's their main thing that they're pushing. Uh, Princess Bride, no brainer. 50 States of Fright, I like anthologies. Free Ray Sean was like just knowing that, seeing that it was going to be sort of a topical political production and then also had Fishburne in it. I was like, I really want to check that out. I like Fishburne. Agua Donkeys was um, just like the, prof- the profile image and some of the aesthetic that shot in it. I was like, I just, this one I really want to watch. Uh, and then I ended up really enjoying run the city because I was like, well, I should just watch a documentary and see how it's handled in the seven to nine minute format. Pro tip, it does not handle well. Flipped because I like Will Fort. Fugitive because why not? And then, yeah, wireless. I actually planned to watch wireless earlier because I was like, this is the only one that I know uses the gimmick. And I was like, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to like it, but I want to watch other stuff first because I get stubborn like that only to find out it's my favorite one and I wish I could have rewatched it, but I just quite literally could not so that's kind of the process of how i picked them and then once i realized i watched 10 stuff i was like i'm satisfied i don't need to watch more (laughs) i get the picture this stuff is just movies cut up (laughs) and uh other stuff that'll be lost to time right well i was gonna ask you like if there were other shows that you know had like buzz or are generally Um, considered the best quibi show or something there are lists on letterbox of like people's top quibi films wireless and agua donkeys are actually pretty high up which is pretty cool apparently royalties is supposed to be pretty good i'll read the premise here royalties a satirical take on the often told story of songwriters behind the world's biggest hits follows the ascent of a ragtag songwriting duo sarah and pierce as they navigate the strange and hilarious challenges of creating a truly great song week after week uh keith o'donohue and darren chris performing i mean i Hmm. saw it listed and i could have probably checked it out um but i just wasn't interested in the premise at the time um dummy which looked dumb uh i know was kind of well received dummy is literally anna kendrick hears a talking sex doll but i don't think anything inappropriate actually happens it's just haha isn't that funny which it is not that's got Um, potential (laughs) 
Yeah, right. <laughs> and then there was another one called Survive by Mark Pellington with Sophie Turner, another uh, X-Men alum. You know, they just jumped to Quibi, I guess. But um, they're like, X-Men's dead. Long live X-Men. <laughs> That's about like, uh, it is another survival pick, but it's the premise or the characters are from a like mental hospital who are all like depressed and struggle with suicide. And so it's them overcoming like, like when push comes to shove, like they crash in, on a mountain, snowy stuff, something about snow and surviving. Don't know what that's about, but um, they're like trying to overcome it. I, I they, they seem to be somewhat well received, but like, yeah, just, I mean, so overall just, which it's like weird. Like where do you recommend these shows? I mean, obviously, like you are very positive on wireless. Agua Donkeys, I'd recommend. Free Ray Sean. Yeah, but like part of the question is like wireless. Like, is there another format that you could watch this in? I don't think so. No. Wireless is just like going to be gone. It's like this weird event film that, like, so like on YouTube, there's all these lost media catalog channels. Um, Some of them are just they will look at other lost media lists and just repurpose them and make it their own content, which is pretty bad. Others like odd header will have like communities that seek search out lost content and investigate rumors of lost content to see if it's actually lost content or just something totally fake. I feel like Quibi is like lost content that nobody will remember. So it's not even like, your brother found a secret location in this video game and it may or may not have existed. Did anyone else experience it? Could be is nobody else experienced this. And I can probably fit in a church building, the amount of people that watched Quibi shows. And that would be this group little cult that we can make the Quibi cult or something. I don't know. I don't know where this metaphor is going. It's just not enough people for these things. I feel like to get picked up unless some sort of Netflix executive had Quibi and was like, wow, wireless was pretty cool. And I like those people. I will buy the licensing rights and put it on my service. Stuff's gone, man. This is lost media. This is this year produced all this stuff. Hundreds of shows. They're just gone. going to be nowhere. And I didn't watch any of the daily shows, by the way. I didn't watch a single one. And there were a lot of productions that like they were daily shows covering the news this year from COVID to the Black really? Lives Matter protests to like elections. I didn't watch huh. any of them. And so like, that's just gone. And they were people who are working every day and it's just gone. That's it's a shame. Cause weird. Like I actually really like the idea of like a daily news show or a daily like comedy news show. Just like YouTube. Right. YouTube is literally that f- half of the people on YouTube do that format too. Yeah. But like with a bigger budget and more famous people, but also like, I feel like if you gave like Chris Cathard and Conan O'Brien and a bunch of other funny people got like to do shows every day, they mm. would find funny things to do with the Quibi format that you could do like interesting things with. You know? Could you imagine an Eric Andre program on Quibi? Oh my gosh. It'd be like amazing. I'm really sad. <laughs> that would be... Ugh. Like Tim and Eric stuff would be really fun on Quibi. Um, people right. who actually are creative. <laughs> um, I don't mean it ne- ne- necessarily. But like actually see the opportunity present with the Quibi format and are willing to take that risk. Um, as opposed to just like we are mandated to do something with phones. Like Free Ray Sean is the only production that like apart from 
wireless being intentionally about using your phone. Free Ray Sean does a lot of Instagram live scenes and talking about how like, yeah, it just, it does that a lot. But again, like it's also just a narr- narrative that'll just be perfectly fine on film. And we all watched Spider-Man Homecoming and the beginning is on his phone. So like, it's not really abnormal to see like, this is what's being filmed on your phone. So I, yeah, I don't know. Unless you do it poorly like Justice League and you have to also superimpose a hairless lip on right your actors i don't know so like there's a name i keep forgetting and i keep remembering it later and then when we come back to record i keep forgetting it there's a specific twitter comedian who's very funny she's all over twitter because she makes these like video skits that have been like going viral but like someone like that could really could have taken like a quibby format and done something fun with it where Mm -hmm. if you really if you handed the reins to like creative people because part of the problem seems to be they just had names like you have famous people and you have or you have known properties like 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 the fugitive which the hot property that is the fugitive people who if given the opportunity to expand their horizons would really grab the reins you know what i mean where yes, they've yeah. they've had to cut their teeth with more limitations so now that they have the opportunity to really branch out they'll like really take the opportunity to run with it i think that could have been something and it's sad like i'm very saddened i'm always saddened with like lost media and because if you've listened to any of our previous conversations like one of my big problems with the idea of like companies going in and editing their streaming content is that there's no guarantee that an unedited version of that will ever exist again. And now we just see that on a huge scale where an entire streaming service has crumbled to the ground. And unless if people just don't feel like rescuing any of it, because there's just no money in just out of the goodness of your heart, buying up these shows and just putting them out somewhere, not only that, but also you have specialized content. It's the double-edged sword here where I kept harping on like, these shows don't use the gimmick. But now, like the gimmick is also going to make it harder for some of these shows to find a home right. anywhere else where you can't just throw wireless on Blu-ray. Um, yeah. you, you have to do something with it. You know, it's part of why it's so sad about the whole physical media thing dying where now it's a thing of like, well, we won't get our return back if we make, take the time and money to print all these DVDs and Blu-rays and, and come up with box art and, and marketing and all that stuff. These shows are just gone. Enjoying this episode? Grab that share link and tell your friends. Word of mouth is the most effective way for a podcast to reach new listeners, so don't be shy. Share the episode wherever you can. All right, Daniel, closing this up, taking everything you now know about Quibi and its shows, of which I have done the work for Quibi to tell you about and anyone listening, because nobody knew what was on there. What do you think about just Quibi? (sighs) That's a good question. before I answer that, the app itself, did that work good and stuff? Yeah, I liked, I thought the app was fine. I liked the way it navigated. I liked the color. The purple color was good. And I actually liked a lot of the promotional like templates they had. And so there was just a lot of aesthetics regarding the app and, and everything that I thought was cool. And the way they listed the credits was like the way that the Letterboxd app lists its credits. So I actually like didn't mind it. Funnily enough, though, there were typos on the app. So you can't get away from that, <laughs> I guess. But you have to figure like they were doing things and then everyone stopped doing things. So 
there was just probably typos that, well, first off, a lot of stuff like that, people report. And if no one's using the app, no one's reporting like, yeah, you made a typo on this section. So it's like, yeah, otherwise, you know, the app was fine, streamed fine. I watched all, I think I watched everything without headphones because the Galaxy S20 FE 5G has really good speakers. And that's something I didn't even talk about. Yeah, they were, I watched everything without um, headphones and everything sounded great. So, uh, but again, that's probably more because of my phone. So no complaints and no complaints with the app. Cool. Other than, you know, complaints about the app. So. <laughs> <laughs> other than other than all the things that implicitly were part of the Quibi experience, the app itself yeah. is good. Yeah. With that all in mind, like, just how do you feel about it? Like, what is your takeaway? So many mixed emotions. Like I've said repeatedly throughout this, I'm not happy when things fail. I don't think it's healthy or good to want things to fail. Yes. At least things that are like neutral you know if it's or, like sinful or evil or, like obviously like dan's not over right. here going i mean i don't want hitler to fail but like, <laughs> yeah, like if aliens should. invade earth i wouldn't be like <laughs> yeah. well, let's see let's hear about you know um, <laughs> i think you make some like lars von trier over here i think you make some good points it's just no take him as a whole you know um <laughs> but it's more like but at the same time like it's hard to have sympathy for something that from the word go all of nature and society and you know from the heavens above down to like all the little people down here every single being was just like that is a bad idea that is a stupid idea that will not work and it's funny like as more details came out i just found more things that frustrated me about the decision making from the concept of watching things in seven minute increments which i am not a fan of to the over-reliance on just hoping people would buy into the gimmick without ever trying to really sell people on its positives or its strengths. Like I, even after all of this, after all this conversation, it, it has not yet clicked for me or I have not got a sense of why this is superior way to enjoy any of this. Like it, the, the basic concept of why should I be doing this on my phone has yet to really solidify other than the idea of like, well, if you're on the go, <laughs> you can do that, which is like we pointed out, I can get Netflix and Hulu on my phone. I and can get you already Tubi on my phone. You know, and yeah. I, have, I, have, I have YouTube on my phone. I also have my phone on my phone. I could just text. I could use social media, you know. You can also take a nap. You can I also could just, just not do some use exercise. my phone. Yeah, you, you just know? not use your phone. Yeah. It, there was, it, it never really made a case for its own existence, which is just a bad sign with anything. But the Save It Grace could have been a killer app, a really, really great shows that you just have to see. And part of that needs to be part of the social conversation, which never took off with Quibi. And so far, of the 10 shows we've talked about, only one of them with wireless seemed compelling enough where I'd be like, you know, what? I would I would get, get the, the free get trial. I would yeah. get a free trial of Quibi to try Dude, that one out. I would force out. you to cover uh, Agua Donkeys with me in some capacity. I'd be like, no, <laughs> you are getting a free trial for Agua Donkeys. <laughs> yeah, we really missed the boat on immediately making a bunch of episodes about Quibi um, yeah. in hindsight. But it's tough because it never really got started. 
Like if yeah, we had a solid it, yes. year of Quibi of Quibi shows where maybe maybe it just need to find itself. Maybe people just need to get a handle of this technology and just need to switch something in their brains to being like, all right, we're shooting for this time frame, for this type of engagement. We have data and feedback so we can see what people like, what people didn't like. And so it's almost like I never got to really, really come into its own and exist to right. where you could get a good beat of like what this thing could have been, which mm-hmm. is the growing pains of everything. Like every, I keep comparing it to video game consoles because that's really what it feels like to me. But that's the streaming world, right? So it, yeah, it is. But you know, it's like it took it took a while for like um, to the developers to get a handle of. Uh, developing games for like the Nintendo Wii or the PS3 really lacked strong exclusive Exclusives, games and stuff. Yeah. And really the selling part of the PS3 was I was a Blu-ray player and that was cheaper than most Blu-ray players. And it was a Blu-ray player that updated. You could it could fix itself unlike other Blu-rays That's initially. True. So that is true. Yeah. But Quibi didn't have that. It didn't have time to grow. It didn't have time to really like stretch out its arms and legs and get a sense for what type of shows its fans wanted, if it had fans because uh, even through like all these all these nuggets of a thing, I like the idea of like daily show updates where you get like your daily news show via Quibi. I like the idea of like the I keep I kept throwing out ideas for different gimmicks and fun bonuses you could do, which who knows could be might have done that down the line or those were fun gimmicks that were just dropped. And eventually, who knows what Quibi could have developed into? I mean, something as simple as making it where you could um, get Quibi on other apps like on a Roku or something could have changed the game for Quibi. Who knows? But I I feel sad for the lost potential because even the technology is interesting. The idea that you have an app that knows when you flip, move your phone around that can switch to different content. That's interesting technology. Like that is itself an achievement that I think people maybe don't appreciate because like I'm trying to sit here and even wonder how that works. How does my, how does wireless know that I move my phone and thus switches camera angles? That's impressive technology. And no, that right, could, dude? How do magnets work, right? It's a miracle. <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> none, none of these scientists it's out turning here. Turning into a juggalo uh, yeah. right before my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sad at the loss of what Quibi might have developed into. Right. But at the same time, it's always tough to feel a lot of empathy for something that immediately you're just like, Ugh, like like the people right. calling my job six days for christmas being like what do you mean you can't deliver on christmas just like you chose to do this everyone around you told you this was a bad idea right you've known this from the get-go you know that's 1.5 billion dollars man they could have sent each 2. every 2.5 they could have sent each and every quibi user 500 bucks <laughs> it's probably it lost less money that way you know yeah it's just yeah quibi seems like a fun idea that is also, but like fun in the way of like, like kind of like the lighter app that used to be on your phone or something, like something that is like, like gun a music, apps. Yeah, like all you did was tap it; it just did gun noises. Yeah, yep. Early iPhone life, <laughs> where the most intuitive app on your phone was that zombie side scroller game. I remember that and Tap Tap Revolution, which I was very good at. So, um, <laughs> you finally found a time to brag about that. <laughs> I'm yeah, happy for you. Had to bring it back. Um, yeah, I, I. I miss Quibi, frankly. I actually still have the app on my phone, and every now and then I open it to see if it will connect. And it went used to be just straight to like try retry connection to then like fake loading the format. I actually screenshotted it real quick before it then immediately went to retry again. But like I, I liked using it. I liked using it though because it was just 
not because it was Quibi, but because it was another streaming app where shows were on that I could watch, right. which is nothing, which is incidental to Quibi's 2.5 billion reason for existing. <laughs> That's as incidental as Netflix existing. So it's just, uh, you know, at the end of the day, like I miss it, but that's because I miss these shows that like wireless in particular, I can never watch again and really engage again. And then other shows in terms of they deserve to be seen like Free Ray Sean, uh, Stranger is pretty good. Agua Donkeys is solid. And knowing that that was probably like they were like the least. These are YouTubers that just like got a show and they had a pilot that they were trying to sell around. So like it's especially a bummer that like they land on Quibi probably are just so like elated about it. And then like, it's just gone. So I don't know. There's a lot of emotions I have about it. Not, none of them are particularly good. So, um, but glad I got to do it and be like one of the only commentators talking about Quibi that actually use Quibi. Uh, sure would be great if YouTube journalism actually participated in journalism and not just, I read a Wikipedia and read other people's work. Uh, Anyways, all that to say is lift us up as Cinematic Doctrine being a genuine journalistic integrity program. <laughs> Daniel's not uncomfortable at all. Oh, no. Uh- <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I mean, Quibi seems okay. It didn't get a chance to fly before his wings were cut out or cut off. And now... It, they, Which were already clipped, frankly, yeah. when it came out. It was, it was a bird that I got punched in the face and then tried to fly out a window. <laughs> and then we all were like, whoa, it fell, you know? <laughs> so, uh, maybe someday... But it's still a bird and it's still yeah, something beautiful. Maybe, maybe someone will, like, a Dr. Frankenstein needs to come along and resurrect the bird. <laughs> Quibi 2. <laughs> it rises the from the bad. grave. Quibi 2 is here to... <laughs> change your life now with more ads you know (laughs) (laughs) thanks so much for checking out this episode of cinematic doctrine if you enjoyed this episode consider leaving a review and subscribing to the podcast and as mentioned before cinematic doctrine has a patreon for as little as three dollars a month you're opted into a once a month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Cinematic Doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.